What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? The NCAA receives over $1 billion a year in exchange for the broadcast rights to March Madness. Yet the men's basketball players who are largely responsible for generating this cash windfall are limited to receiving the value of their student-athlete scholarship, which averages roughly $38,000 a year. Robert Romano, assistant professor of sport management at St. John's University, contends not only that D1 men's basketball players should be paid, but he also provides a detailed analysis that explains just how much the players should receive and how the money should be distributed. It's a great conversation, man, and we're going to get right into it on Sports 360. Joining me today on Sports 360 is Professor Robert Romano. Professor Romano is the Assistant Professor of Sports Management at St. John's University in New York, and he is also the author of an award-winning paper that discusses the value of a Division I basketball player. Professor Romano joins us today to talk about his paper and all the related issues. Professor Romano, how are you today? I am well. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. And, and, and thank you for taking some time to, to join us here on Sports 360 to talk about your paper and, and, and more importantly, the topic, the value of a Division I men's basketball player. And first of all, uh, congratulations on, on winning the award for best paper. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that in terms of the, uh, the, award-winning paper that you wrote and and give us a little background on that sure sure the uh, the paper is entitled the value of a division one men's basketball player is the student athlete scholarship fair value for athlete for athletic participation at this high level and um it, it was, i get an award best paper award from the global business research research symposium and the global business research symposium is an organization that holds an annual conference um this year we're having to be in Valencia, Spain. So about two months before the conference, my, my assistant came and said, hey, I say, you may want to think about this, submitting your paper to this conference. So I did. And lo and behold, they accepted it. And then I got to fly to Valencia. I got to present it to a panel of academics. And um, when I returned, I got noticed that I received the best paper award. I I think there were 17 or 18 presentations, so I was I was pretty happy with that. Well, yeah, and and again, congratulations on 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 the award. Thank and you. in terms of the topic, um, what what prompted you to to write about this topic? I mean, it's one that I believe um, a lot of people have interest in, and I know I do personally. Um, you know, when we think about student athletes, especially in the big time sports of football and basketball and whether or not these players are being treated fairly economically. Uh, but what, what led you to write on this topic in particular? 
<laughs> my students. Yes, <laughs> my students. Every, you, know, <laughs> you know, every class, it seems, no matter what I'm teaching, either sports law or sports history or whatever the course may be, we always seem to get into the conversation of should student athletes be paid? You know, and, you know, there's always that debate back and forth in the classroom. Some people believe, some students believe that, you know, they get a scholarship, so that's fair. And some people believe that, no, 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 they deserve more because there's a lot of revenue coming in. So this debate happens in every class. So I decided, well, let's, let's figure it out. Let's see if that scholarship is actually fair value for the services performed. Right. And one thing for sure, whether or not athletes are getting paid, you know, that could be a matter of opinion, whether the scholarship is payment or not. But one thing is for sure, the NCAA is getting paid. Right. And so why don't we jump into that a little bit? Because in your paper, you set forth at the very outset some really eye popping economics as it relates to March Madness and the broadcast rights uh, that the NCAA sells to both CBS and Turner. Um, for for the right to to broadcast March Madness, can you give us some of the numbers that are associated with that deal? Sure, sure. Um, the NCAA um, came to terms with CBS and Turner back in 2010, and at that time, it was an 18, a 10.8 billion dollar agreement, which gave the NCAA about 770 million annually. So they, they entered into this long term contract. Um, for seven seven hundred seventy million, and then in 2016, a few years ago, um, they decided to extend it by another eight years. That extension added another 8.8 billion to the overall contract value. So the average that the NCA receives just from the men's basketball tournament is approximately one billion dollars a year. Right, one billion dollars a year, and and you said something important there, Professor. This is just March Madness, right? This is, yeah, this is this is just the broadcasting rights to March Madness. It doesn't include the ticketing. It doesn't include any of the um, the gate, what we call gate concessions, parking, merchandise, anything like that. This is just for the broadcasting rights to that to that term. Okay, so let's start there. So we're talking of roughly, let's call it a billion dollars a year, and and this agreement runs through. 2032, correct? Exactly. Okay. So we have this long-term deal, $1 billion a year to broadcast March Madness. Um, But then there's also some other numbers that you have uh, that I think are important here too, in terms of the number of NCAA um, Division I men's basketball programs, players, scholarships, and the rest of that. Can you give us a little bit on that as well? Sure. There are, there are roughly 1,100 um, colleges and universities that are part of, that make up the NCA. They're um, uh, the, the member institutions. Um, out of that 1,100, 351 of those colleges or universities have a D1 men's basketball program. So each program is allowed to offer 13 scholarships, uh, basketball scholarships, men's basketball scholarships. So that there are roughly 4,500 um, young men who are playing D1 men's basketball. And 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 in getting to the valuation, and we're going to obviously get in 
you know, get to this as we go along, but the average scholarship, I, I believe you wrote, is somewhere south of $40,000, $38,000 and change, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Some, you know, some schools are more expensive, so the value of their scholarship is more expensive. Some schools are cheaper, um, but the average is about $38,000, $39,000. You know, some schools pay out as much as $45,000, um, but you know, taking, taking the overall average based on the 351 schools, it's about $38,000, $39,000 per year. Right. Okay. So the NCAA is bringing in a billion dollars a year for March Madness broadcast rights. Average yeah. scholarship for a Division One men's basketball player, roughly $38,000. Mm-hmm. And that $38,000, I'm going to use the word cap right it it would represent a cap right isn't it you know the amount of money that a student athlete can receive is capped at the value of the scholarship yeah that's an interesting way to put it i think that i think you're, that's a fair way to put it you know um you know so each student is capped at you know 38 39,000 and then that means this institution because it can only give 13 scholarships is capped also and that's about $500,000 wow okay and you know, Robert, you and I go back a little ways, and I think you know that I'm not a great fan of the NCAA. Um, <laughs> I'm just not. You know, and I know the NCAA holds itself out as this guardian of amateur competition, and that sort of undergirds this whole idea of having a cap on what student athletes can receive. Um, but, you know, there are some who you know, view the NCAA as protecting amateurism. And there's others who view the NCAA as a money-making cartel. And I don't know if you want to weigh in on this at all, but, um, you know, and you don't have to, but how, how does the NCAA even get to this point where they're able to position themselves to get such a huge financial, you know, arrangement with with broadcasters uh while at the same time holding down the student athletes who are in large part responsible for generating this revenue to such a paltry number in terms of the scholarship value yeah it's interesting how it happened i mean you know the nca was created around around 1906 and at that time they were just a regulatory body right um they were just there to help with rules, implement rules. Um, so all teams were um, playing by the same set of rules, basically. Um, but over time, it kind of morphed. And the NCAA went on a power grab, for lack of a better way of putting it, around the ni- in the 1950s. And at that time, under Walter Byers, the former uh, president, they, they just seemed to play one institution against another and say, no, we have to do this, we have to implement these rules. And they used the schools against one another to gain all of this leverage. So in the 1950s, you know, they created things like Committee on Infractions, and then they gave themselves, just gave themselves the right to, right to sell broadcasting rights. So it was interesting how it happened. Um, it wasn't really given to them, this power was given to them by the member institutions, they kind of just did it. And it's a beautiful thing if you can get away with it, right? And and so that's exactly what's happened here. And, and so we have the NCAA 
now positioned to, you know, cut these types of deals. Um, and I don't believe there's anything wrong. And I don't believe you, you, you think there's anything wrong with the NCAA making these types of arrangements. Um, but the question is, you know, where do the student athletes who by and large are responsible um, for the NCAA being able to cut these types of deals? How are they faring in the process? And I think that's what your paper is, yeah. is dealing with. Yeah, I mean, um, the NCAA is the regulatory body. That's fine. I mean, if they if the member institutions want to give them the NCAA the power to enter into these 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 right right deals, that's fine. Yeah, they have that that opportunity to do so. They have the right to do so. But it's how it then what happens to that money and how it is given back to the student athletes who are my concern. For. Right. Now, in your in your paper, you you run through a very uh, interesting analysis, and you use the 2019 um, revenue year, uh, for lack of a better term, as as a point of reference for the NCAA. Because again, you gave us the numbers about a billion dollars a year, but if if we were to look at 2019 from a revenue standpoint. Um, you know, help us to put that into context as we look to see whether or not these student athletes are getting their fair share. Um, from a revenue standpoint, 2019 for the NCAA, their deal on with March Madness, what do those numbers look like? Sure. So the NCAA is required um, for their, con- uh, CBS is required for their contract to the NCAA to write a check to the NCAA by August 31st of $804 million. So this year's allotment, the 2019 allotment for March Madness is $804 million. But that's not the end of the story. Um, there's also money that is going going into an escrow account. So there's additional money being paid by CBS Turner to the NCAA. This year, uh, that amount is $75 million. So you got to add the 804 plus the 75 million. Of that 75 million, and this is this is where it gets really, and this is interesting and confusing all at the same time. 57 million is escrowed, but 70, 7.5 million is advanced to the NCA. So why is there an escrow? You know, my question. You know, we're both lawyers. Um, why is it going even going into an escrow account if it's just being advanced anyways? Um, but so you, that being said, taking those two figures together, that's about $879 million right there um, that the N, uh, CBS and Turner are paying out to the NCA just for 2019. And so, right, just for 2019. And again, $879 million. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes, Professor, you also understand that that doesn't include like overseas broadcasting rights. This is just for domestic. Right. <laughs> so... And- and so what 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 happens with this money? I mean, you know, the NCAA, I'm sure, is accountable and has to demonstrate how this money is being distributed, how it's being used. So taking this eight hundred and seventy nine million figure for twenty nineteen, how how is that money ultimately being distributed? Where is it going? Well, that, that's 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 the great question. I mean, uh, you know, I'm doing some research on this and trying to find out where that money actually goes. It looks like the NCAA sets, um, has eight various funds that they distribute this money to. 
coming into next year, there'll be nine funds. But for, for 2019, um, there's eight various funds. And, you know, in analyzing those funds, it's kind of interesting. One of them is called the Equal Conference Fund. And, you know, per the terms of the Equal, Con- Equal Conference Fund, you know, um, it states that the Equal Conference Fund is divided between Division One conferences and not the in- individual member institutions based on the conference's individual team tournament performance over a six-year period. Okay. And then there's the basketball fund which is another fund that they distribute money to. And the basketball fund, per their rules, is divided between Division I conferences and not the individual member institutions based on the conference's individual team performance over the past six years. So I, I can't figure out what the difference between those two funds is. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so they have these funds set up, but they're kind of convoluted and not in, kind of vague about where that money goes. And you know, one of the interesting funds that I that I recently found out about was this thing called the Special Assistance Fund, and the NCAA paid allegedly paid eighteen million dollars into that fund. But then, doing more research, that's just Pell Grant money, that's federal dollars going in to the uh, member institutions that the NCAA is taking credit for as a distribution. Mm. So, so you see where it gets a little convoluted and sure. crazy. And, yeah. Sure. Okay. But if we took them at their word, and if we took, you know, you said there are eight funds, there'll be nine funds, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this year. How much money are we talking about when all is said and done? Again, we're talking $879 million to start with. How much of that is going into these funds? About $590 million. Five hundred and ninety. Okay. So there's still and, about two hundred and twenty-two million that is not distributed through the fund. Right, and that, and that's and again going back to that. I mean, in in some ways though, when we talked about the um the amount that's in escrow, you also mentioned something about a, a portion of that is advanced to the mm-hmm. NCA, right? So they actually do they get their hands on all eight seventy nine or only on the eight oh four plus the advanced? The eight oh four plus the advanced. The remaining sixty seven million will be is held in escrow until twenty twenty five. Okay. So we're talking maybe around a hundred and I mean eight hundred and eleven million to start with. For this year, actually um um realized revenue. Right. Okay. So if we did the math, so that's how you get to your 221 then, right? So mm-hmm. they, they start with 811. They put 590 into these various funds and it's questionable about what these funds actually are, but they still have a, an amount remaining of over $220 million. Exactly. That's and, not distributed through any of their funds yet. And that's not distributed anywhere. And and then going back though to Division One basketball scholarships for you know for men, the total amount you know you you gave us some numbers. There's forty five hundred players who get scholarships. We're like, but what's the total amount of money that goes to scholarships? Um, um for these calculating players? it out, uh, for, you know, roughly forty five hundred D one men's basketball players, three hundred fifty one schools, thirteen scholarships, um, at the average of about thirty eight thousand dollars a year is about 175 million dollars 
um, the member institutions pay out uh, use for men's basketball scholarships. So then the NCAA, if they wanted to, could foot that bill just based on the amount that's left over from their March Madness contract. Oh, well, exactly. And, and still make 40, 45 million. But they don't. <laughs> right? They don't. Put the bill, right? <laughs> they leave it to the schools to provide the scholarships to these young men. Um, and I guess they pocket the 221. It's interesting, you know, trying to research where that extra money goes, you know, and speaking to some some individuals at the NCA, they say that money is used to um, promote and fund other championships in other sports, so tennis, um, diving, lacrosse. So that money is used to help pay for the championships for those sports that don't generate as much revenue as men's basketball. Mm. Okay. Do I believe it? You know, that's another question. I haven't done the research on it to find out how much money is actually spent on on those various championship uh, tournaments. Okay, so just again, trying to put these numbers into some context. The NCAA is bringing in a billion dollars a year on average for 2019, 811 million. They disperse about 590 million. They have 221 million left. The total cost of scholarships for Division One men's basketball players at the various institutions that have D1 programs, $175 million. The NCAA could foot that bill, but they don't. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to the, the question that's on the table, though, where, you know, what you're most interested in, and that is whether the Division One basketball players who on average receive $38,000 in scholarships um, – are they be? Is that their proper value? Um, what take us through now your analysis of that? How how do we determine whether or not that thirty eight thousand dollars is an appropriate figure or not? Well, you know that that was the next step. I mean, so I I, I looked to the very the various sports organizations out there to see how they distribute their money. So looking at the professional league. And in the in the professional leagues here in the United States, every league has a player minimum, right? So if you come in as a rookie, you're going to make at least a certain threshold of money per year. That's one thing. And also, there's also a revenue split, a revenue share between the league and the players. In, in basketball, which I know you're, you're uh, familiar with, um, there's the BRI, uh, basketball-related income. And, and that share is roughly 50-50. You know, the basketball uh, players receiving 50%, the owners receiving 50%. And it's similar in the NFL, right? The NFL, the players receive about 48 49%. The owners receive about 51 52%. So, but again, that's not just TV revenue. That's all revenue. So, right. you know, in, in analyzing that, I said, well, maybe a fair way to do this would be a revenue share, a minimum and a revenue share. So, um, you know, analyzing that and looking at the dollar figures, I said, you know, the um, the NCA brings in totally with total amount for 2019, $879 million. Well, let's do a revenue share on that at 50%. And that would mean that, 
439-440 goes to the NCA, and the 439-440 million goes to the players. So, and then, and then that, that, you you would just like divide that by the number of players, the 45. Yeah, Professor, just it's that simple. I mean, if there's four forty five forty five hundred players, um, taking that four hundred thirty nine million dollars, dividing it by the forty five hundred players, comes out roughly to about ninety ninety seven ninety eight thousand dollars per year per student. And, and based again, on the, and based on that, is that what you believe is? I'm going to call it the fair value. I'm putting air quotes up. The fair value of a Division One men's basketball player. That's the minimum amount that they should receive. I yeah. Um, is that fair value? I don't know if it's fair value, but I know it's it's the minimum amount they should receive um, based on March Madness. Based and and again, and this is what's incredible, Professor Romano. And we're just talking March Madness. We're not talking regular season and we're just talking broadcast rights, right? We're not talking licensing, ticket sales, or any other related revenue. No, we're not talking um, NIT revenue. We're not talking um, in-season broadcasting rights, any any of that other any of those other revenue generators. This is just that 16 days of March Madness. Okay, so... I'm going to round up and say it's $98,000, the quote-unquote fair value. And going back to the average value of a scholarship being $38,000, that puts us in the realm of a $60,000 surplus. Exactly. So if, if we were to have this type of a system where, as you described, a revenue split, NCAA gets half, players get half, Players get their pro rata share. It's $98,000. But what would happen with the excess money, right? The $60,000 per year, given that, you know, the cost of attending on average is $38,000. Where, where is that? How is that $60,000 going to be handled? Well, the, what I think should be done with that money is that it should go into a trust account for that individual athlete. So that $60,000 is, is in a trust account. It builds up over the you know the four years that they're in college. So when they graduate, um, there's a fund for them. So if they decide at that time they want to continue with their education, they want to go to medical school, or they'd like to go to law school, there's a fund there that they can tap into that will help pay for pay for this cost. Or you know if they do not want to go um, and continue with their education, you know maybe there's a fund for them to start a business or um, to invest in, in in somebody else's business. But that money is there for them. It is escrowed, trusted for them for the four years, and then it's available to them once they graduate. Now, what would you say to those who's, who say, wait a minute, Professor, this all sounds well and good, but these are student athletes with the emphasis on being a student first. And we shouldn't be engaging in these types of conversations. You know, they're able to attend institutions of higher education. Um, Some of them actually do earn their degrees, even though the top players in basketball typically are one and done. Um, But nevertheless, we should not be having these types of conversations. We're not talking about professional athletes 
we're talking about student athletes. What would be your response to that? Yes, they are student athletes, but they are generating a huge amount of revenue. And because their their skills and their abilities are allowing the NCA to capitalize, that money should also be used for them to capitalize on their skills and on their talents. And you know what? You know, why not let them continue with their education? If you're really concerned about the student athlete and they want to continue and they want to graduate and they want to go on to postgraduate studies, well, there should be money there for them to allow them to do that. Right, because it, on the one hand, especially with basketball, right, because mm-hmm. we have this phenomenon of one and done right now, the idea that we're talking about students and, you know, for the very best players, everyone knows what's going on, right? They're going there for a year and then they're entering into the draft. Um, and some are going to make it and others aren't. And then what? Uh, and it, it might not be a safety net for those players uh, who who end up not not making it. Um, what about though, every now and then we have one of those special players this year we had, right? Zion Williamson. Um, is this a one size fits all or is there something that should be done? Cause Zion Williamson alone, I mean, he's an, in, he was an industry unto himself, uh, while at Duke, um, you know, his games, the ticket prices for his games, the TV viewership and, and everything else, you know, the numbers supported, right, was just extraordinary. It was above and beyond what um, would typically be the case. How would a player like that who can demonstrate that he has a different effect on revenue, how should that player be treated? Is he just one of the 4,500 players who's treated exactly the same? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes, in the uh, with regards to the fact that he's going to get that ninety-eight thousand dollars, right? But that's why I call it the minimum amount. You know, so for a special talent like Zion, I mean, they'd be able to capitalize to the next level and maybe receive revenue from merchandise sales. So if, you know, if Duke or the NCA sells a jersey with his number on it, well, he gets a piece of that. Um, if they sell whatever a bobblehead or whatever with his logo or his, his image on it, he gets a piece of that. And, you know, with regards to the increased ticket sales, I think, you know, there's many smart people at Duke. Um, they can come up with a formula to say, hey, Zion's impact is this amount. So, therefore, he's, because of that impact, he gets a piece equal to this amount. So, you know, like I said, that $98,000 a year, Threshold is just a minimum salary. Special players will get to capitalize at that next level through merchandising, increased ticket revenue, and so forth. Now, going back to something, though, Professor, if if if, if the NCAA shared the revenue with the players, would that have a negative effect on some of the other sports? Because you did mention some of these funds where the NCAA you know, distribute some money into each one of these funds. Um, presumably, you seem to have some doubt of whether or not it's really affecting, you know, some of the lower tier sports. But would there be some kind of drop off in, in terms of some other um, athletic opportunities at schools? Because, you know, a, a, 
fifty percent of this money is going to the men's basketball players? And no, it may actually help. Um, if you think about it, if the NCAA takes over for paying that five hundred thousand dollars a year for men's basketball scholarships, that means that member institution has an extra five hundred thousand dollars per year to spend. And therefore, they could spend it on women's sports. They could spend it on, you know, bringing wrestling back. I mean, that was a big thing we heard years ago for the Title IX effect. You know, we're losing wrestling. But they can redistribute that money into other sports and and promote those sports. And that's the first part. And secondly, um, I think the NCAA relies too much on the cash cow of men's basketball and doesn't promote the other non-revenue generating sports as much and that's and, and they're not looking at the business and the revenue that they can generate off of those sports as well so i mean the ncaa sits back collects all this money for men's basketball and really doesn't work or look to generate revenue from those other sports the way they the way they could or the way they can now as we mentioned at the top your 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 paper um won an award um, and so obviously it's, it's been well received. Um, but I wonder, you know, given that, you know, you have those in, in, in academia who have different viewpoints, have you received any pushback from any of your, any of your peers, um, who believe that the, the, the premise and the idea of paying these athletes is something that we should not entertain? Yeah, I think the initial pushback is, is exactly that. You know, they're, they're student athletes. So why, why should they receive more value than that of a scholarship? But then when you sit down and you, and you break it down for them and show them the actual amounts and the actual figures, they're like, oh, I, I get it. I see. I see that it's not fair compensation. So, I mean, initially, yes, especially at this conference, I did get a lot of pushback right from the beginning and when I was presenting it. And I got a lot of questions and a lot of um, snide remarks, let's say. And then, you know, as I progressed through it and showed them the details and showed them the amount of money that is generating, they're like, oh, maybe this isn't as, you know, black and white as we thought it was. And you know, it's interesting, Professor, because, you know, I, I believe the question is always aimed toward the student athletes, you know, mm -hmm why should they earn money or, you know, why should they be compensated above the value of a scholarship? But the flip side of that coin, the question doesn't ever seem to be asked, meaning why aren't we asking why should the NCAA <laughs> be sort of the primary, if not sole beneficiary of, you know, this revenue that's being generated on the backs of players. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, that's, that's exactly the way, you know, why is the NCAA making all this money? And why isn't it being redistributed and put into enhancements for those student athletes the way, you know, it could develop them, develop them for the long run, you know, beyond their basketball careers. Right. And we've been talking just about basketball and you mentioned, you used a phrase a little while ago, the cash cow of men's basketball, but um, the cash cow has a twin, right? And, and that twin is big time football. Right? <laughs> um, um, do you see the football program 
somehow for you know the division one football programs should they be should the players there be treated the same way or is that somehow different uh i think it's very similar and actually that's the next paper that i'm um, working on now um coming up with what is the value of a d1 football player you know what are the revenue streams how much money is generated from d1 football you know then analyzing that how many scholarships are given and, and you gotta understand there's a lot more scholarships in, in football than there are in basketball, but um, just working uh, working those figures now, and hopefully by next summer, by the next Global Business Research Symposium, I'll have that answer. Okay. One question I do have for you is: there are there are a number of people who agree with you, right? We talked about those who may have some questions and maybe say, "No, we shouldn't do this." We're talking student athletes and all the rest of it. But there, there are a fair number of people who agree with you and agree with you in terms of your premise as to student athletes getting a, a fairer share of the revenue that they help to generate. Um, but the question I have for you is, is this something, do you consider this more something that's scholarly and intellectually interesting or um, are you seeking somehow to take it beyond just an academic exercise and discourse and maybe try to affect change? Well, I want to take it beyond. Definitely want to take it beyond. Um, you know, I've always been an advocate for athletes' rights, for um, for the athletes themselves. And I think, you know, the student athletes have been beaten up long enough, for lack of a better way of putting it. I mean, they've been taken advantage of long enough, and it's time for the institution to change. It's difficult. It's a big ship, and big big ships are tough to tough to steer, and so it's tough tough to turn around, especially when the the member institutions that are making a lot of money off this program have the most um, control over the NCAA. So, but no, I want to take this to the next level. Um, I would like to see something something happen along these lines. Well, as I said, I mean, and. Look, anything I can do to be of help, just let me know because you know how I feel about uh, the NCAA, but also more importantly about players and, and you know, being a player advocate. And, and that includes the student athletes as well. Um, but Rob, well, this uh, is a great way. This is a great way. I mean, this is perfect. I mean, getting, getting the word out there, getting, you know, thank you for doing this, you know, with your podcast, getting the word out there, getting people, um, creating awareness about these issues. This is, this is the first step in a long step, but it, it, it can help down the road. Sure. And and look, hats off to you for, for, for writing it. And again, congratulations on the award. Now, um, if, if, if there are people out there listening to this who would like to find out more, maybe read your paper. Um, you, you mentioned to me that um, there's going to be a shorter version of your paper coming out um, in, um, in the sports business journal. Why don't you tell us about that? How can, if people are interested in, reading the paper, um, how, how can they go about getting their hands on it? Sure. They can always contact me directly. Um, my email is Romano R1 at St. John's.edu. You know, please feel free to email me. I'd be happy to, to share the paper or anything else with you. Um, and on August 26th, uh, a shorter version, just a recap or an overview of this paper will be in the Sports Business Journal. So, and then I'll have my contact information um, through that article as well. Okay, that's great. And as and as we're 
recording this i mean today is august 21st so on august 26th sports business journal a condensed version of the article will be uh, published so that, that's great that um, um, those who are interested can get their hands on that and then obviously have an opportunity to reach out to you if they want more information or the complete paper so um but uh professor Romano, let me tell you man i'm with you I, I'm with you. I, I believe that that Division One men's basketball players, football players, should be compensated. And to me, it's it's a it's really a simple calculus. If you are playing a significant role in generating revenue, you should share in the revenue that you generate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, maybe we'll get there one day. <laughs> maybe we'll get there. <laughs> well, listen, um, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate, you know, you taking the time today to to talk through this with us. And and um, and as I said, really, if there's anything I can do to be helpful going forward, let me know. But thanks for coming on and and talking about the paper and and this topic because it really is timely. It really is something that I believe is important and hopefully we can see some change in this area. I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you, Professor. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you.